0: This is a kick in the grass with Dan Riccio
1: and Jeff Blair on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: KITG is back for 2021. Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair with you to go over the biggest stories in world football here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Jeff, how are you? Happy New Year, man.
1: Yeah, happy new year,
0: man. Everything's good. Manchester United is up near the top. <laughs> Life was good. Life is good. All right. So, I, okay, I, I hear your joy, but I like, uh, I don't know. No, nothing about United's run of form has me feeling confident about them.
1: Oh, God, no. <laughs> no not <enough>. at <laughs> all. I'm just enjoying, I'm taking temporary enjoyment out of the fact that, you know, for the first time since Sir Alex was there, uh, they actually look like, they may be able to do something. Of course it's going to fall apart. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, look, the fact that Paul Pogba has so far managed to make it through COVID without contravening some sort of rule, you know that's going to happen. I mean, you know that there's something lurking around working around the corner. Look, I, I, I'm i just glad. You know, I, I'll give them credit because I really thought when they fought, fell out of the Champions League, I, I really thought it was the end for Ole. I thought the whole thing was going to fall apart. You know, they weren't going to go into a relegation scrap or anything, but I just didn't see any sense of fight back. And all of a sudden, one, Ole seems to have figured out who his best 11 is. Uh, and two, you, know, I watched, uh, you watch the body language on the pitch, and it's the best body language I've seen from a Manchester United team again since Sir Alex was there. And uh, I, I don't think. You know, over the course of the season, I still think Liverpool and Man City are, are probably going to separate themselves at some point, but I don't think there's any doubt now that Man United will finish top four. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a good thing.
0: Tops uh, in the table over the last 12 months, they've collected the most wins, the most points. Uh, a lot of that, you know, due to, to Bruno Fernandes. You know, I know he scores a lot from the penalty spot, Jeff, but I, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of like a more impactful signing. Um, in, in United's history, like in recent history, there there's none. I mean, this guy has been everything United has needed and more. He's he's kind of what they hoped Paul Pogba would be.
1: Yeah, he is. You know, it, just doing some reading and sort of in some of the Manchester United, the fan forms, uh, in, in terms of coming in and sort of lifting up the whole direction of the team, you have to go back i think to eric cantona to find somebody who just essentially came in and automatically changed the on-field culture of the team and I, and I and i think you're seeing that you're seeing that with bruno he's made he has made marcus rashford i truly believe this bruno fernandez is the reason that marcus rashford has turned into the player he's turned into uh he is just it, it's amazing watching how he controls the tempo of the other team not just his team but it's almost as if bruno fernandez has a, has a capacity has a capability of dictating how the other team has to play and that's you know that's something we that's something you don't always get uh, unless you're talking about the very 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 elite players
0: the other uh, major story from the pitch this weekend was uh, Chelsea and uh, wow. their incompetence uh, is maybe the word uh, to play against Manchester City who were missing uh, no fewer than six players out due to coronavirus. And yet Chelsea was so far off the pace in this match. Immediate questions coming about Frank Lampard right now, Jeff.
1: Yeah, I mean, there have to be. They spent, what, $220 million- Pounds on, on players. Yep. Uh, and, and let's say this. I don't think... I went back and looked. At the time, I don't think anybody criticized any of those signings. Now, I think we've gone beyond the point now of saying, that's too much money for this guy, that's too much money for that guy. I think everybody looked at those signings said made sense. You were getting players who were either in their prime or very young. You were getting players who contributed on good teams. Uh, and And it looked at the time as if all of these acquisitions as expensive as they were made sense, you know, and, and they, they took care of the glaring goalkeeping error. I think that was a terrific, I think Mendy was a terrific signing and yet it hasn't come together. And not only hasn't it come together, Dan, but I look at somebody, well, we'll look at, let's look at Timo Werner and Kai Mm Havertz. We know less about what their roles need to be and Chelsea going forward than we did when they came there. We just, it it concerns me that the parts don't all fit together. And you may end up, if you're Chelsea, you may be in a position where you've got to move somebody out. You know, maybe it's a a Christian Pulisic. Maybe uh, it can't be a Mason Mount. I think Mason Mount has been one of their, has been one of the players that probably, uh, you know, you could could, uh, not criticize this year by and large. I think he's been pretty good. But, yeah, look, it's, we, it's Roman Abramovich. And, you know, he has, he has got to be thinking right now that, uh, yeah, he's got to be looking at that Manchester City match and thinking, is that, is that the real Chelsea? Like, I think, you know, I, I kind of looked at it the other way. I came away from that match, and I tend to be a little more patient with managers than most people. I came away from that match thinking less about Chelsea and thinking more about Man City. Like, from what I saw... Yeah, maybe maybe Raheem Sterling up the middle up front. Maybe that's where you go if you're them. You know, maybe you don't bother going with, with Jesus. Maybe you don't bother going with uh with Aguero. Maybe you just use Aguero off the bench as kind of a change of pace. But it's entirely possible Pep' stumbled onto something and I, I don't know who the hell kidnapped John Stones. Did that happen during the <laughs> did that happen during the lockdown and we didn't notice it? Because right now that might be the best pairing in the Prem I think you can make that case with Van Dyke out that it's the best pairing in the Prem
0: it's it's really starting to come together for City and you know as as much as their start to the season has seemed like a disappointment there they are on 29 points now uh, with just 15 matches played you know they got a couple of wins from those games in hand and they're right there with Liverpool and Manchester United, so we're actually you know when I, when I look at it you know we're we're shaping up to have one of the better Premier League title races uh in, in some time where you know okay Liverpool man City a couple of years ago was fantastic, but it may be a a three or four headed race for for a
1: long part of this season, uh, depending know. on how things shake out. And, you know, what I really like, too, is the, the fact is you've got some teams just under the surface like Everton and Southampton who yeah. are capable, who are really capable of beating any of the big teams on any given day. Like it yeah. would not, it, and, and I don't think we've seen that before. You know, last year, Wolves were kind of the team that could catch people off guard. But I think the depth in the Premier League this year. You know the top ten teams. I think the depth of those teams, one to ten, is much greater than it's ever been, and it, it's going to make for a fantastic finish. It really is. Uh, the major story that's been while we were
0: away is again with Lionel Messi, and it's uh, <laughs> seems like since we started this show, Jeff, he has uh, and and the speculation of his future has been non-stop. He is now free to sign a pre-contract. With any club in the world, though, he has hinted that that will not be happening in an interview last week with La Sexta in Spain. Now joining us to talk about it, Samuel Marsden. You can follow him on Twitter by his name, writer at ESPN and Sport. You can also hear him on the Siempre podcast all about Barcelona. Sam, thanks for this. How are you?
2: Yep. Yeah, good. Thanks. Ready to yeah talk about Messi? It seems to be my life at the moment. So we go with that. <laughs> um, th-
0: this interview that he did last week, I mean it uh, it did nothing but uh, fuel the fire, I guess, in terms of of speculation. What was what was your takeaway?
2: Yeah, I don't think we actually learned a lot. But if we're looking at the reason why he did it, I think if we look at the fact that we're now into January and he's now allowed to negotiate a pre-contract agreement with other clubs. I think the one the one major line he perhaps wanted to say was, you know, that he's not going to be negotiating with anyone that he's focused on Barca till the end of the season. So I think perhaps that was the reason why he chose this timing for the interview to sort of try and just calm things down in January so things would be focused on, on the football, although that's not going to be the case with Messi because people are hungry and thirsty for any little bit of information about what he might do in the summer. And he obviously left that open. So... Yeah, we didn't learn a lot despite the teasers in the week from, from La Sexta, the Spanish TV channel, and from Jordi Aboli that there was going to be some sort of big revelation or announcement or something more, something more concrete about his future. You know, as we
1: sit here on, on January 4th, if I asked you to handicap, you know, a great game, right? A game every soccer fan is, is playing right now. But if I had to ask you to handicap and I gave you a choice of, I'm going to pick three teams, shockingly. Uh, Barca, PSG, or Man City. How would you rank those teams in terms of where Leo is most likely to end up?
2: Yeah, it's something everyone, like you say, everyone is talking about. i probably change on a daily basis based on little things. And I'm actually, what I, what I say actually contradicts with what I think Messi is thinking right now. But I just think when we get to the summer, I think the most likely outcome is that Messi stays at Barcelona. Um, so I'd probably say 50%, 50, if we're going 100% breaking it down between those three teams, I'd say 50% chance that he stays at Barcelona. Uh, the reason I think that is I just think that by the time we get to the summer and he's 34, I think that maybe he will have doubts about leaving Barcelona. He's spoken about you know, how his family didn't want to leave last summer. That's not going to change this summer. Um, he's obviously emotionally connected to the club. But it's impossible to go out on a limb and say definitely because so much depends on on what happens in, in two things. First of all, the presidential elections. Who is elected as the Barca president? Is it someone that can convince Messi to stay, can sell him a project, can convince him that Barca are going to return to, to winning ways quite soon? And then obviously also what happens between now and the end of the season. How far off the pace are Barca? Do they end the season, yeah, say without winning anything, but do they look like they've made progress under, under Kuman or, or a new coach or if a new president brings in a new coach? Um so it's difficult to to exactly say but looking at Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain as well they're not having the greatest seasons I mean Paris Saint-Germain you'd imagine will recover to to win the league under Pochettino they've got that Champions League tie against Barcelona which could also feature in in Messi's decision making if if Paris Saint-Germain is a real option we obviously saw Barca beat PSG 6-1 in 2017 but that's regularly been used as sort of the trigger for for Neymar deciding to go to PSG because he was sort of overshadowed that day by Messi, despite being the one that sort of produced the goods on the pitch. Um, So I go 50% Barca. I think there's probably still slightly more chance he goes to Manchester City. That was the one that was obviously on the cards last summer. That was where he wanted to go last summer, but wasn't able to go. So I'd maybe go sort of 35% City and then what we left with 15% PSG as as the outsider.
0: It's it is interesting, you know. The financial part of it is is massive because yeah, there are so like in any moment there'd be so few teams clubs that could afford Messi, but given the cert- current circumstances, that's that's even um, more apparent in this in this situation. And and also for for Messi, I mean, he's he's pretty open. He understands the financial landscape at Barcelona and the current financial troubles that the the club are in. And so if he does choose to stay there, Sammy he understands it's it's going to be very difficult for them to turn this thing around and and be you know amongst the best in Europe with where liverpool and bayern currently are
2: yeah messi's spoken about that a lot he said you know in that interview which we spoke about at the beginning he obviously said look the financial situation at barcelona is very very bad he was asked about comments from neymar recently saying he wanted to play with messi again last season as if that could be possible uh, at Barca and Messi almost almost laughs and he says how how do you pay Paris Saint-Germain for Neymar when there is no money um, so yeah he he knows the situation i think financially i think he would be prepared to compromise if he decided staying at Barca was was the best bet i think perhaps more so than he would be willing to compromise with with Paris Saint-Germain or or Manchester City but yeah i think the main thing for Messi is is seeing that Barca can can compete. I mean, you've got to be saying next season. Really, there's no time for another another transitional year. Kuman and Messi have spoken about this being a transitional year. They can almost sort of write this not write this one off, but as long as they see signs of progress, which I mean, there are positives in the emergence of Pedri, the signing of Serginho. Dest is obviously a good one. Frankie de Jong starting to show why Barca paid so much for him. So there is a there is a nucleus of young players and talent there. I mean, we're not talking about a team that's a long, long way off, but they're still quite short of, you know, like you said earlier, teams like Bayern Munich and Liverpool, they're still not at that level. But I think Messi needs, you know, whether it's Joanne Laporte who returns as president or Victor Font, and Victor Font obviously strongly linked with Javi. I think Messi just needs to see something tangible, which he can, which he can believe in.
1: Sam, do you read anything into, well, first of all, I'll just ask you, is there, is the report of a, what we famously call a dressing room bust up between mark terstegen and lionel messi first of all is that accurate to the best of your knowledge and secondly what is the the dressing rooms what's their level of i'm not going to say level of comfort with Messi, but what's their level of acceptance right now of all that's going on around Messi?
2: first of all on the terstega and Messi stuff oh that's sort of exaggerated what what has emerged over the last two or three years, and it's not necessarily to do with those two players, and PK's acknowledged it in He's acknowledged that sort of bad bad habits have, have slipped in, and especially under Valverde, there was sort of two groups within the dressing room, and not necessarily sparring or at war or not getting on, but there was a group of players, including, you know, the likes of Ter Stegen and Frankie de Jong, who felt that you know, training wasn't intense enough; that it was too relaxed, and you know they wanted to do more on on that side of things. And then there was the other group, which was obviously, you know, Messi and Suarez, who who are at different stages of their career and don't need that sort of intensity now because they're sort of, you know, managing their managing their efforts a little bit to to come into the matches. So there was there was that. S- I'm loath to call it a split because it wasn't the the relationships between the players weren't strained, but there was that difference of opinion, if you will, which I guess there is in in any workplace. You know, there's always going to be People with different views on how things should be done. Um, And what was the second question? Sorry, about Messi. Oh, about how he's viewed in the dressing room.
1: Handling it, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean that is an interesting one because it's really, really hard to get a read on anything Messi. I mean, we've seen in the years, you know, club spokesmen and directors have been sort of sacked or or sort of been really sort of frozen out because of comments they've made about about Messi. Um, so there's an element of fear, I guess, within the club about saying anything out of touch or or too too damaging towards Messi. So you don't really know. Obviously, the players all love playing with Messi. I mean, I think that's obviously true. Um, so I don't think there's there's too many problems surrounding it. Messi is, at the end of the day, someone who wants to win matches. And I think as long as the players around him he believes and he trusts in, then I think the players get on with him. You see the young players like Pedri, And Ansu Fati, who have a good relationship with him on the pitch, they link with him really well. I think the problem with Messi has just been that Barca have signed too many players that sort of want to play in his, not want to play in his position, but are naturally inclined to drift into those pockets of space where he plays, like Coutinho and Griezmann. And I think it's just a chemistry thing on the pitch, which people have tried to make a thing off the pitch. But there's no major, major differences with Messi in the dressing room. How
0: how has Ronald Koeman handled the situation he's come into?
2: I actually think Koeman has done... It's so difficult to judge because obviously it was a very, very difficult job. He came in and the the first task, not necessarily his task, but what was going on was, you know, in theory it was supposed to be a deep clean of the dressing room. It ended up being a few players left, a few big characters like Rakitic, Vidal, and Luis Suarez was obviously the big one. Um, But I think... He was almost able to play that off as not his decision, um, which kind of helped him. I think he's done well to put his trust in Pedri from from such a, such a young age. He's done well to... He was obviously key in the signing of Serginho Dest. I think tactically he's a long way short of the game's best coaches. I think we see his changes and we see certain things that he does... Uh, I'm not as good as, you know, other coaches, but in terms of what was needed, it's just I don't know, it's just it's just an impossible job, really. I think he's he's spoken well, the players like him. He's been he's been interesting for the media. He speaks a lot more honestly than than his predecessors. I just I just it's hard to see him staying in the job for a long time because I just don't think he is a an elite level manager, even though I would throw in the caveat that at Barcelona and at Real Madrid often the more important thing these days is being able to to manage the dressing room and the and the players
1: beyond getting Messi's situation settled once and for all. What are you expecting from from Barcelona? Understanding that we don't know yet the complexities of the transfer market necessarily and the the total impact of of COVID nineteen and that. But what would you expect to see in the very least from Barcelona? in the transfer market
2: in january or looking further ahead to the summer uh, both actually january is going to be very difficult because of the financial situation and because of the fact that there isn't a president so at the moment ronald cooman and the current sporting director Ramon Planet he's likely to be out of a job when the new president comes in but they're working on on deals ins and outs for january but they're unable to do any because the president will have to sign it off so the new president will come in on january the 24th and faster will effectively have a week to do any deals. Um the two the two players they want to sign are the two that they wanted to sign in the summer and couldn't afford because of their salary cap which are Eric Garcia from Manchester City and Memphis Depay from Lyon who are both both out of contract in the summer. So they're available at knockdown prices. I think Koeman would prefer Depay but he's very much a, a Koeman signing whereas Eric Garcia is obviously a club signing he will come regardless of whether Koeman is the coach. The question is whether he comes now for a small fee or in the summer. I think what we've seen from Araujo and Mingheta in the last sort of two, three weeks and before, sort of before Christmas in those games that they've played has sort of reduced the urgency for Garcia to come in. So I think there's more of a focus now on on Depay because Kuman's obviously one of his biggest complaints is that Barca aren't taking their their chances. Obviously, it's another issue whether or not Depay is the man to come in and do that because what they really need is a number nine, and I'm not convinced he is that profile but Koeman's obviously decided he is so that's the one they'll push for if they are able to to do any deals and that will involve moving moving someone on um, whether it's just on loan to make room on the on the wage bill or or selling anyone um, the ones that they look to move on are not necessarily forwards you know Carlos Alenio and Ricky Pudge would be allowed to leave on loan Junior Ferpa the left back they could maybe try and sell him but it's, it's not a very good market for selling players
0: you know, currently they they sit fifth in the table and and they've started to turn things around you know unbeaten in in six matches, four four wins from those last six, but they're still outside of the top four is is the disaster scenario for Barcelona where they miss out on the champions
2: League yeah, without a doubt that would be the absolute. Yeah, that's the disaster. Missing out on the top four would be absolutely, you know, because it hits the club on a financial level. It's not just the fact that they're not playing in the Champions League for a season. It's how much they lose financially next season. And coming, I say post-COVID, obviously COVID's still going on, but in terms of the, the financial effects of it, coming after that is like a like a double whammy. And Barca are a club that are in a worse financial situation than probably most of the, the European, the top European clubs. So to miss out on the Champions League would, would really, really set them back. And you could almost definitely say goodbye to Messi. And then you're also scrambling around. I mean, these are players that haven't set the world on fire at Barcelona, but you're, you're looking to have to sell, you know, guys like Griezmann and Coutinho or Husman Dembele. And there's even a scenario where you might even have to sell Frankie de Jong, who's drawing interest from Bayern Munich over the last six months. Barcelona obviously said he's not for sale, but if they missed out on the Champions League financially and they were unable to sell, you know, guys like Griezmann, then they would have to perhaps consider selling someone like someone like Frankie de Jong.
1: Sam, I, this is might be a little off the beaten path, but uh in addition to COVID-19, the I guess the other sort of world or systemic or economic systemic change we've seen has been Brexit. And you know, as far as we know, it's it's signed off on now and it it's good to go. Uh, what type of an impact will Brexit have, do you think on the transfer market in January and in the summer because it, it it has thrown some wrinkles in has it not in terms of uh, in terms of work visas and and certification papers for players
2: yeah to be honest i'm not 100% sure how how much of an effect it's going to have i've been, mainly been focused on making sure i have my own own papers in, in order in that regard <laughs> um, but yeah i think that i think the biggest effect that we're going to see from brexit is is at youth level really because obviously it's going to prevent you know, these English clubs hoovering up the academy talent from from Europe, which they have done in the past sort of 10, 20 years. Even from Barcelona, they've been, you know, Arsenal, Manchester City, Manchester United have all signed 16-year-olds from, from Barcelona and that's not going to be possible now until they're 18. So these, cl- these clubs aren't going to be able to sort of cherry-pick the best, best young players from Europe and they're going to have to bet a little bit more on English talent. I think in terms of, you know, signing players that are, you know that are already playing within europe that are already senior players i don't see how it, i'm sure there will be tweaks to paperwork and it'll be a little bit more complicated but i don't think it will change things too much as you know we obviously see lots of foreign players from outside the eu already going to play in the uk and england so i don't think on a on a senior level it's going to have a huge effect
0: sam we uh appreciate your time uh, as always and uh, i guess one of my takeaways from from this chat is uh it, as much as Messi is trying to sell his uh, dream of playing in the U.S., it's it's not coming anytime soon.
2: <laughs> no, but it was interesting that he said it because it was it was unprompted. So it was kind of, it wasn't like, you know, quite often these players are asked, do you want to play in, in, in Major League Soccer? Do you want to go to the U.S.? And they say, yeah, why not? It's something good. But Messi was actually being asked about his future, you know, this, this this summer, you know, what do you want to do? And he was like, you know, I don't know where I want to go. I've always wanted to go to the U.S. So... No, not this summer, but it was, it was curious the way, he, the way he dropped in. And he usually drops something in if he, if he wants to, if that makes sense.
0: <laughs> well, we, we can hope one day. It's, it's more than a friendly. Uh, maybe Lionel Messi will be playing uh, here in, uh, on this side of the pond. Uh, Sam, we really appreciate your time as always. And our listeners, remember to check him out on the Sampire prod as well. And also ESPN and Sport to check out his writing work. Thanks for this, Sam. All the best. Cheers,
2: guys. Take it easy.
0: There is Samuel Marsden uh, joining us here on A Kick in the Grass. If you like what you're hearing on the show, please subscribe to the podcast and also uh, give us a nice review. We do appreciate it. Coming up next, back in on the Premier League where coronavirus cases are on the up and questions about how the schedule is now going to play out are very apparent. Rob Harris of the Associated Press joins us next on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back in on a kick in the grass, it is Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair. Always looking for your questions for the show. We record every Monday, so you can send them in over the weekend as it happens, at Dan Riccio underscore and at the S. N. Jeff Blair, DMs are open, so you can get in touch with us at any time. The holiday season was different for many of us, but some Premier League stars still decided to go about it like any other in years past. Now joining us is Rob Harris of the Associated Press. Thanks for this, Rob. How are you? Oh well,
3: happy New Year, guys!
0: Happy New Year to you as well. Um, it's uh, it's been an interesting time for the Premier League. Uh, they've had. Uh, players uh, having parties and being scolded for them. They've had to postpone some matches due to positive tests. How is how is the league dealing with this latest round of, of issues related to the pandemic?
3: Well, there's very obvious little leadership from the league in terms of dealing with the transgressions by players of national rules. It's not even talking about football rules. It's uh, the national regulations relating to the various forms of uh, lockdown across the country. And the fact is, there's been enough warnings and yet we've had several players partying, gathering in homes, which is just completely against the rules, sent against the backdrop of the fact we've had to have three matches postponed in the last week or so. Premier League's probably been quite fortunate in the fact that only in December, the start of the month? Did they have to cancel their first game since restarting everything at the the second part of last season in June? So they've been quite fortunate in that regard, but probably really reflective of the escalating national coronavirus uh, crisis with uh, this new variant that was discovered here. You
1: know, Rob, in the NFL, uh, it it took a while, but eventually the league started Finding teams, taking draft picks away from them. Uh, you know, if they found that there was some sort of systemic systemic failure. Obviously, if one person develop gets COVID-19, there's very little you can do. But in the case of the Baltimore Ravens, there was a strength and conditioning coach who wasn't masking up and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm wondering has there been any talk, especially as England you know, goes into a tighter lockdown, has there been any talk about Trying to sort of standardize or increase fines uh, for, for this type of behavior. And I mean, are we at the point now almost where it's senseless to find the team? You really have to hit the individual player hard?
3: Yeah, there's been no sense of that at all. And obviously, you look across the country and it's a very difficult time for people having to keep apart. And in a lot of cases, people are now in a sort of stay at home order and journalistically. I a fortunate position of being able to go around to various matches and to do my job reporting on them. Well, obviously, for a lot of people, they can't do um, go out and about. And obviously, they see footballers then, um, not even with minor breaches, but holding big gatherings. The fact is, you know, having, you know, the three Spurs players, uh, along with um, Lanzini from West Ham, all gathering together, I mean, they knew what they were um, surely doing in terms of what isn't allowed and what isn't in the regulations given the fact they'll keep on being told as clubs and what makes it particularly important for the players to follow the rules is the fact that football and other sports have that special dispensation from the government to continue with regulations around the bubbles and the stadiums that have to be in place to ensure that effectively these mass gatherings are allowed because 300 people maximum are allowed in uh, Premier League stadiums. You know, that's that's bigger than any other gatherings allowed across the country. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the re, there are these restrictions in place. And what is perhaps the most glaring of transgressions is the fact that Manchester City's game at Everton was called off. And yet, a few days later on New Year's Eve, City player Benjamin Mendy goes and... Uh, Holds this um, New Year's Eve party, so we'd already had questions over the COVID outbreak at Manchester City, and just uh, should the game have been called off? And then it can't kind have of escaped what what one of them players what the rules were. I mean, you know, you, you can potentially see in their own mind how they think it's um, okay that you could have an extra person in your house if they're part of a bubble. He, um, he. Or, or, you know, he already um, does live with se- several family members and a couple of extra people came in and a chef, though. And that's probably where it starts to look like a bit of a bigger gathering rather than just supporting someone or people who are sort of on their own. But, yeah, I mean, uh, what we're not hearing is anything in terms of punishments being imposed by the FA or the Premier League. Yet Ultimately, what is at risk is um, keeping football going if there are mass outbreaks uh, amongst teams.
0: Well, and, and that's, um, you know, kind of my next thought, Rob, is just, you know, what, what would it take for that to happen? At what point does the, the Premier League start to worry about all the postponements and how the, the fixture list is going to work? Because, you know, as we're seeing with Jose Mourinho and and others already, the schedule is it's one of the, the, the most testy topics amongst managers right now.
3: Yeah, and there's very little um, space in the calendar, very few gaps to try to squeeze in games, particularly if there are more postponements. And if you're getting teams progressing in the Champions League and the Europa League as well, if they're trying to hit that time frame, if we do have the European Championship starting as hoped for in June, already delayed by one year, of course. And you do start to get a potential fixture pile up, which if you're Jason Mourinho last week, you're thinking, well he's wanting that game against Fulham to go ahead Uh, originally we were told that as long as you had uh, 14 fit players that the game should be fulfilled but I think what we've seen in the last week or so is actually although you might actually have 14 fit players it is questionable whether the game should then go ahead anyway because you don't know if other players in the group have been infected and you're potentially spreading uh, the coronavirus amongst them even if people haven't existingly tested positive but it does create problems we're seeing in the lower leagues and the EFL many games are being called off and talk even from clubs there about whether they do need to pause their season Uh, the EFL has that additional problem which is of course no fans at all in stadiums still the big issue we've been talking about for so much of the last year and that means the uh, lack of match day revenue so they're obviously struggling financially as well and dealing with big outbreaks um, at several teams that have caused so many uh, postponements.
1: Now, we are in the uh, transfer window period. I don't know how many people expect a lot of activity in January, but I'm kind of interested, Rob, from your point of view, in how you think the the Brexit agreement is going to impact this. I don't know if we know yet um, all the ins and outs about, you know, work visas and, and, and papers and things like that, but... It seems to me, at least from a distance, that COVID-19 isn't the only challenge that Premier League teams in particular will face going forward. Do do we know yet how Brexit might impact uh,
3: how, how it might impact the player market? Yeah, we've had an immediate impact already because the West Brom manager, Sam Allardyce, has been grumbling about the fact three players he was targeting to try to bring in for their survival battle won't be able to because it seems they won't meet the new work permit requirements to dial things back. Obviously, we're four and a half years now since the referendum where Britain did vote by 52% to leave the EU. It then took years to get the agreement of Parliament and Britain with the EU to form um, a withdrawal agreement. Then on January the 31st, 31st last year, Britain left the EU, symbolically at least, but stayed in a transition period until New Year's Eve. As of January the 1st, Britain is now fully out of the EU, having struck this uh, deal which allows, um, uh, um, they've managed to avoid the no-deal scenario with Cliff Edge, where there would have been complete turmoil if they hadn't managed to strike a deal on things like trade and reciprocal work permits. How that all affects football is, until January until December the 31st and the end of the transition period, European players could freely sign for clubs in Britain. Now, though, they have to get a work permit. And this involved an agreement between the Premier League and the FA and the government to implement a new work permit system for football. And what it means is that um, they have to judge each player who wants to come in from any part of the world. If you've had a great international a career if you played at the top level you basically automatically pass and as you go further down effectively there is a points-based system where you have to reach the certain number of points based on things like the quality of the league you've come from the quality of club you've played for the types of competitions they've managed to play in if they've played in the champions league or the Copa Libertadores, it gives you lots of points because it shows you're a good player um and then you get your work permit but for others who might be borderline and don't meet the threshold that clubs have got to appeal to a panel to convince them basically why we need to bring this person into the UK to do a job and that obviously someone in the UK couldn't do already and that obviously doesn't just affect players but also managers and their coaches and fitness staff as well they might want to bring from abroad so it's all a um, an issue that the Premier League is now grappling with but because of all the delays in Brexit actually being finalised amid all the political wranglings in Britain. They've obviously had four and a half years to, to know this was uh, coming, but uh, obviously it's going to hit people now at clubs as they're sort of, you know, suddenly having to face their transfer targets and wonder if they'll actually be able to uh, bring them in and get them into the team and get them work permits.
0: So so like everything else, it it affects the... Uh, the well, it, it affects... The team's not uh, at the top of the table more than anything else.
3: Yeah, and also, though, it can prevent teams at the top of the te- table as well getting the players they wanted in terms of one of the things that leaving the EU means is that um, British clubs can no longer sign players from Europe between 16 and 18. So we're just like the rest of the world now. There was previously um, an ability for Britain to sign them because all countries in the EU are able to sign players between 16 and 18. Leaving The EU means no longer having that get out from the FIFA regulation. So perhaps English clubs will no longer be able to sign the best of the young talent and other teams in Europe um, can, can get them into their academies. Uh, on the other hand, it um, could lead to, you know, the clubs having to look to places like Scotland more at their youth players because players can still move within the UK uh, between the ages of 16 and 18, even though, of course, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland are separate national teams. It is a single entity in that sense in terms of the the borders. Uh, And of course, ultimately, even for the big clubs, the um, prices of British talent could uh, increase as well because there is this now uh, um, challenge in bringing in all the players from Europe that they might want to.
1: Rob, I know we don't have time to do a, a breakdown of the Premier League table, but I did want to ask you, uh, you know, one, uh, it, Liverpool, in, in your mind, are they still the favourites despite Manchester United's little run here? And and two, who has the tougher job in front of them right now, Frank Lampard or Mikel Arteta?
3: What an amazing time it's been the Premier League in recent weeks when uh, um, I was at Old Trafford to see United lose to Paris Saint-Germain and then they go out the Champions League a week later and you think Solskjaer's in complete turmoil. How long will it be before he's replaced? When will Pochettino be brought in? And you fast forward a few weeks and suddenly I was there at Old Trafford on Friday night to see them beat Aston Villa and they're uh, up to second only behind Liverpool and goal difference. And suddenly Solskjaer has actually United amongst the best place to mount a title challenge really since... um, Alex Ferguson retired nearly eight years ago now. Obviously, they're still out of the Champions League, which is a big blot, and financially is a hit for them. This unpredictability of the season means they can easily go on a bad run again and suddenly the questions about Solskjaer re-emerge. Flip it to London and to um, Chelsea, and I was there to see uh, Lampard's side absolutely torn apart by uh, Manchester City on Sunday. And suddenly, he's under... Pressure as well now. Uh, yet just a few weeks ago, as he pointed out, uh, he'd been on a 17-match unbeaten run. That even had talk of giving him a longer-term contract and locking him down. And now there is that sort of uncertainty around him, particularly if they slip further from those Champions League places. We know how notoriously um, trigger happy Roma probably their winner is in terms of removing managers who might threaten the ambition of making the top four. And, um, you know, there are questions about why the summer transfers haven't clicked and Lampard is arguing, well, you know, we couldn't really expect them to make an immediate impact when you're bringing players into the league who aren't used to the Premier League. But, you know, Timo Werner is a player who was playing in the Champions League for Leipzig. He helped them uh, reach the quarterfinals uh, last season. So he's not some uh, novice player. And... Then you look obviously City helping them put themselves back in contention, and then ultimately what the Liverpool do? Well, they got themselves back up to the top, obviously still missing players like um, Van Dyke and um, grappling with this very congested calendar as well. But I think they will be in and up there as we uh, do get uh, into the second half of the season. Obviously, we're not normally we're not even at the halfway point, which you normally would already have passed by now. And then you wonder what um, Tottenham can do with. Um, uh, Mourinho, can can they uh, now build on beating Leeds and pushing on and recovering where they were because it, you know it'd really fallen away? We were talking about the title challenges a month ago before that really uh, bad run of results and collapses.
0: Uh, before I let you go, Rob, I, you know you mentioned earlier uh, about the Euro and and how it's. Uh... Uh, I, I guess uh, you know. I think about it. And, uh, like, I guess it's going to happen. Um, how is it going to happen? I, I know you've been talking about that a little bit uh, with your Twitter account at Rob Harris. Um, but, but what do you know? What, what's the latest on on the Euro?
3: Well, what we learned from twenty twenty is the fact that sports bodies now will reconsider things. So all the years they are, oh, they always insist there's no Plan B. Well, UEFA had to do it with the Euros and the IOC with the Olympics and um, other. T- Competitions as well. So, while they're determined to try to continue the Euro plan as it is, we know that they have to uh, have the ability to revise them. And the fact that the Euros was already going to be the most challenging and complex format anywhere, using 12 cities in 12 countries from uh, Baku to Dublin and from Glasgow down to Rome. And, you know, at the moment, it's very hard to imagine teams flying all in and around, crossing Europe to be playing those fixtures if things aren't fully um, cleared up in terms of coronavirus and we haven't had the mass rollout of the vaccination. And that's even before we think about will there be any fans allowed into the games as well? Uh, You know, there are six months to go. And what we've seen now from the last few weeks is that whatever optimism there might be, things like new variants of the coronavirus suddenly derail those plans because... Um, it adds new layers of unpredictability so you know it might get to the stage where UEFA's main priority is can they just get the tournament played wherever and however Um, because you know in terms of there is no space to move it into next year because then we're into World Cup year. The fact we're talking about the 2022 World Cup has now been next year, not some distant things. So we start to get things piled up and um, really struggling. But, you know, we're just obviously getting indications already, um, you know, from the from the US with um, events being cancelled, sports events already for um, this year and, and sports being held behind closed doors, which really, um, you know, shows how this is a very challenging situation that's going to be coming up. You know, you know, for instance, the NCAA holding the entire men's basketball tournament in Indiana, keeping it all in one place. And that will ultimately be one of the questions your has to face. Do they decide put you're just in a, in a single country or a, a close defined area?
0: Uh, Rob, we appreciate your insights and uh, your time as always. Thank you for this.
3: Great to speak as always. Keep well and uh, speak through the year, hopefully. That is
0: Rob Harris, Global Sports Correspondent with the Associated Press, and you can follow him on Twitter by his name. Coming up, it is injury time. Thought on Alfonso Davies as he is back from injury and thriving once again with Bayern Munich, who collected another win over the weekend. Also an update on our Fantasy Premier League. Who's got the highest score this week? That's coming up next on A Kick in the Grass. Don't Pass the Buck, managed by Richard Buck, led the way in our Fantasy Premier League this week. 86 points, bringing him to 20th in the table, led by the duo of Tottenham's Hyunmin Sun and Ari Kane, each a goal and a helper, but also helped along by James Madison and Aaron Cresswell, providing double-digit returns for Richard Buck's side this week. Blair, you've managed to bring yourself up to
1: 5th in the table. I am impressed. Yes, yeah, so am I. <laughs> As I said, it all depends on who you captain. And, you know, you got Bruno, you got Salah. Alternate between the two and you should be good to go.
0: Uh, we uh, always encourage you to join the league. Uh, you can do so. PremierLeague.com, the fantasy tab and uh, the league code to join a kick in the grass. Fantasy Premier League is ppibd six. And
1: where are you, Danny, by the way? Just
0: uh twenty-fourth right. in the table. Okay. I've uh okay. I've I've been working through some things. Finally captained uh the right player this week with uh son. And uh we're 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 on the way up. We're 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 doing better. We're doing better. So Alfonso Davies, Bayern Munich, incredible comeback on Sportsnet this weekend. Oh. Uh 5-2 coming back from uh 2-0 down to Mainz and you know, we 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 talk so much about the accolades of Alfonso Davies. Uh, he started the season a little bit slow, then had the injury, but uh, he's back and probably uh, as good as he's ever been, if not better. Jeff.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at his metrics from the games, and the speed is there. You know, uh, the the stuff that I think a lot of people worry about with the player, regardless of their age, or the player of Alfonso Davies' skills uh, coming off that type of injury. Uh, he, he honest to God, he looks like, he looks like he hasn't, he looks like he hasn't missed a stride. And, uh, now that Bayern has, uh, has Joshua Kimmich back, uh, boy, they look, they, I, they really look like far and away the best team in the world, like they, yeah. the best club team in the world. And, uh, I mean, that was, that was frightening on Sunday. You know, it really was, you know, it's one thing to come back from a two nil deficit and win three, two, but to come back and just, and literally just keep punching and delivering blow after blow after blow to a team, regardless of how good or bad the opponent is. Just says a lot about uh, Bayern Munich, and I think you know again everything we talked about with that team. In some ways, they are they might be the perfect club team right now.
0: It's um, it's crazy how how good they can be when they get to that peak form. You know, like they had for so much of of the return to play last year and throughout the Champions League. I mean, their Champions League run last year will, will go down in the history books as one of the best ever. Um, here on this side of the pond, Toronto FC still looking for a manager. Some of the speculation continues to be around Patrick Vieira. But I can't imagine this uh, situation lasts much longer, Jeff. They need to get somebody hired soon.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they you know, the indication is that they're narrowing down their search. Um, look, I I, I think... I think what you're going to see is you're going to see Allie Curtis and Toronto FC boil it down to two choices. Do we choose somebody with an MLS pedigree? Somebody who understands at least somebody like Greg Vanny? Do we bring in the next Greg Vanny, or do you go overseas and maybe try somebody like Patrick, Patrick Vieira? I, you know, if it's me, I've seen enough MLS now to realize that, that it really is a unique league. And I think, Players can adapt to it. I'm not certain that coaches from Europe can necessarily adapt to it. So I would just as soon see TFC try to bring in the next Greg Vanny. And you know who knows if that person turns out to have the success that Greg Vanny does. But that's the path I would go down if I was them. If I can't get Laurent Blanc, then I would go down that path. If you have a question
0: for the show, hit us up on Twitter at Show underscore and at SN Jeff Blair on Twitter. Uh, Jeff, pleasure as always. Producer yeah, Canberra as well. And we'll be back next week with another edition
1: of A Kick in the Grass on the Sportsnet Radio Network.